This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and James Forsyth. Putin's bombardment and invasion of Ukraine is ongoing with Russian forces moving in from the north, south and east of the country and beginning to encircle Kiev. James, what's the state of the invasion today? Well, the the Ukrainian president is warning that there are Russian um, sabotage teams in the capital itself. And and I, I think it is worth saying that although I think the resistance that the Ukrainian military displayed on the first day of this conflict was perhaps more robust than the Russians had expected. You know, over time, I think there is little doubt about the kind of short-term military outcome of this conflict. I think that my reading of Russia's war aims is this, is it wants to go into Ukraine, destroy the Ukrainian military, install a puppet government, which would not only have to accept neutrality, but Ukraine essentially having no military forces at all, and also very possibly wish to create a state in the Donbass, which would be essentially akin to to, to Belarus. I think the bigger question is, how does Russia keep that puppet government in power without some Russian military presence there? And as soon as there is a Russian occupying force, that is very vulnerable to kind of classic insurgency tactics. I also think that we are seeing from the level of resistance from Ukrainian forces that this conflict will be bloody. I think it is also worth saying that you know NATO are not going to take a role in this in terms of sending soldiers, creating a no-fly zone. Nothing like that is going to happen. I mean Boris Johnson was saying yesterday that you know the UK will continue to send defensive weaponry to Ukraine. I think that will be the limits of what NATO involvement in this conflict will be. Katie, Ben Wallace today said that Russia had failed in all of its key objectives on the first day of the invasion. The Ukrainian government has urged people to make Molotovs and is handing out weapons to its people. Do you think this invasion is going entirely to plan? There's so many unknowns when you imagine an invasion that I think the idea would go completely to plan probably is is untrue for any situation. I think it's interesting that Ben Wallace, out on the medium morning round, as you mentioned, trying to say that actually Putin's already coming across problems. If you look at the number of you know, injured or killed Russian soldiers, if you look at a situation where various jets have been shot down. But in a way, I think this is... You can also see that clearly, especially with some Ukrainian mainlands really pushing these points, it obviously does boost morale to a degree if you feel that ultimately Russia is not having as much success as it would like. But I think as James has touched on, it still feels as though the general direction of travel, if you look at the fact that you know Russian forces are heading towards Kiev, I mean, surrounding it to a degree, is one of Russian dominance. So therefore, you almost need to, what are we talking about in the realms? Are we talking about in terms of, do the Ukraine stop Russia, you know, the Russian government from you know succeeding in taking certain areas? At full stop, I think that's still seen as pretty optimistic situation. Are they putting on a fight and is Putin having to work harder? Because that's still important for many reasons. I mean, we're seeing, if you look at the situation in Russia, various protests, there is not unity or, uh, you know, it does not seem at least there's a great consensus in Russia that Putin has made the right move. And if this wall looks like it's going to be very costly, not just to the Ukrainians, but to the Russian people, 
yes, we can talk about the economy, but it seems in terms of, you know, Russian soldiers' lives being sent there for what is going to be a long and protracted battle, that does cause problems for Putin. James, so for the first stage of the invasion haven't gone perfectly to plan, Putin may find some reason for optimism in the Western response to it. Europe has come under fire for not wanting to ban Russia from the SWIFT international payment system. Ben Wallace again today said that he's going to be working all day to try and convince our European allies to take that step. Is there any sign of movement on that front? Well, Joe Biden last night was explicit that it, that it was the Europeans who were blocking this move. Ultimately, I think it would obviously be better if Russia was cut off from SWIFT. I think the the bigger question, which sadly I don't see any realistic prospect of happening, is a bar on Russian oil and gas exports. Putin has been preparing for these sanctions for a long time. You know, Russia has the fourth largest currency reserves in the world at 630 billion. Russia has the fourth largest currency reserves in the world, despite only being the 11th largest economy. As a share of GDP, Russia's reserves are larger than any other country, larger even than than China's. And Putin has been trying to kind of sanction-proof his economy. One of the reasons he's confident he can do this is how one of the ways he's built up this foreign exchange reserve is selling lots of oil and gas. And, you know, the fact is that yesterday, roughly $700 million was spent by the US, the EU and the UK on buying Russian oil and gas. As long as that is happening, Putin will be quite confident that he can ride out whatever sanctions are imposed on him. What needs to happen is for Western countries to refuse to buy that, to look for alternative supplies. Now, that would obviously inflict pain, right? Because it would mean the remaining supplies on the market, the price would spike, inflation, which is already high, you know, the Eurozone, the highest since the Eurozone's creation, the US highest in 39 years, the UK highest in 30 years, would go higher still, and that would cause people pain. But until we, you do that, then I think the Kremlin will be confident that the West is not prepared to be serious enough about sanctions to kind of deter Russia's behaviour. I also think there is something that the UK can do, which is you don't need any international agreement for these unexplained wealth orders. These are quite formidable anti-corruption devices because they require people to show that they have acquired the money that they are using to buy property and other things legitimately. And I think we should be hitting Putin allies who have London residences with those unexplained wealth. And just to be clear, where are the sticking points in Europe? Who, Who's importing the most Russian gas? Who the government be working on? Who are they trying to swing around to their so, side of things? I think the Ukrainian president made quite clear that he holds the Italians the most responsible. He sent a, a rather barbed tweet earlier saying, I couldn't speak to Mario Draghi at this point because of the intensity of the fighting. Maybe I should try and schedule the war so I can fit in my call with him. So the Italians are clearly being blamed by the Ukrainians. I think the Germans are also, they've cancelled Nord Stream 2 after a lot of pressure from the Americans, but I think they are clearly reluctant to cut off Russia from SWIFT. The kind of German official line is that you've got to hold some things back in reserve. But, you know, if invading another sovereign country is not a basis for cutting them off from SWIFT, it's quite hard to see what is. I think the West's overall strategic aim must be to not only try and inflict the most pain on the Russian economy possible, but also to drive a wedge between Putin and other members of the Russian ruling elite. And I think you saw in that picture of those oligarchs who were summoned to Moscow for a meeting with Putin yesterday, you know, they all look stern-faced. And I think that part of that is because they know that they and their families are now going to be principal targets for Western sanctions. Up to now... They and Putin have had a certain community of interest. Putin essentially allows them to loot the country for money, benefit from a highly corrupt system. They float him cash, support him politically. 
what you've got to do is make sure make them think that they cannot live the nice lives that they live where they holiday in the south of france they shop in london they send their children to western universities you've got to make them think that that life is not possible for them as long as putin continues in power intent on that course of confrontation from the west because if you can drive a wedge between putin and some other members of the russian ruling elite i think that that could be what begins to chip away at the putin regime katie western intelligence has called a lot of this correctly and the UK government is now saying that there are signs that Putin has plans that stretch further than just Ukraine. We had Owen Matthews and Olana Fiers on Spectator TV yesterday who said that it fits into Putin's broader narrative of a greater Russia. Are we getting any more of a sense of what Putin wants out of this? And do we think that, that there could be further conflict after this invasion of Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, I think the point is, if Putin finds that he is able to invade Ukraine, a full-scale invasion, and have relatively low kickback, you know, yes, these sanctions are intended to hobble the Russian economy, but Putin has obviously been taking steps behind the scenes to try and make sure that any sanctions have very limited damage. And you know that Russia is a country that has its own supplies, and it's not sanction-proof, but I think there is an argument that actually some of these sanctions are going to hurt the European countries doing them just as much as they, as they perhaps could hurt Russia. If Putin feels as though he manages to do this and there is little kickback, what's going to stop him then going further? Now, clearly, if Putin were to, you know, step foot in a NATO country invasion, that's a very different proposition. And I think it was interesting in Joe Biden's address on Thursday that he was asked about by his press reporters and he was just very clear that immediately if that were to happen, then then you would see troops, you would see a military response and that that is a because it's NATO. So I think that while I think uh, Putin may well have uh, plans to go further, I think there are limits to this. It is a different situation than the one in Ukraine. I think one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin is attacking Ukraine is because Ukraine is not a NATO member. I mean, however much Putin, this might be an emotional rather than a rational decision in that, you know, in terms of the fact that to be to be brutal, Russia's coercive diplomacy was was proving quite successful. It amassed a large amount of troops on the border of Ukraine. And, you know, you had the German Chancellor saying, look, let's all be honest, Ukraine's not, not going to join NATO in any of our lifetimes. And, and so, you know, Russia was getting things that it wanted out of this situation without invading. And, and I think the decision to invade suggests that Putin is perhaps more of an emotional actor than the kind of view of him as this kind of cold calculating chess player suggests. And despite his very heated rhetoric about what he would do about anyone who got in the way of his invasion of Ukraine, I do think Katie's analysis is correct, which is, you know, Putin will be wary of doing anything that would direct contact with you know, a NATO military, which would trigger Article 5. I think that, you know, that would be very high risk and I don't think I mean I don't I think his risk appetite might be higher than some people have thought as shown by the fact he has gone into Ukraine in this fashion but I still think it's not that high and finally Katie is there any sign of reprisals for Belarus for instance who have been supporting Putin in this invasion or for any other countries that might side with him Yes, we know that Belarus will also be being issued sanctions against them. But I think it's also worth pointing out that if you're looking at the various countries who have condemned and those who are, you know, perhaps being negative but not at Russia, you're starting to see that split, which we, uh, in terms of, you know, geopolitics, West versus others, and I think Pakistan, China, taking very different approaches to European countries. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening. <laughs>